0: Legal analysis.
1: You are listening to well, Let's Be Honest, Just Jaundice, LBD Legal Breakdown. Case. Today, I am going live to, to go over and discuss the, the Derek Chauvin legal sentencing. Legal so I am it's playing this live. I'm going to give credit to Washington Post Live on YouTube. That is where I'm playing it. So we are about to hear Judge Peter Hill's well, sentencing, sentencing and analysis. So we're going to listen to that and then I'm going to give my analysis afterwards.
0: The deep and tremendous pain.
1: So we're going to go in all the families to Judge you, Cahill. The you have our sympathies and I acknowledge
0: outside this courtroom and other members of the community. It has been painful throughout Hennepin County, throughout the state of Minnesota, and even the country. But most importantly, we need to recognize the pain of the Floyd family. I'm not going to attempt to be profound or clever because it's not the appropriate I'm not basing my sentence also on public opinion. I am not basing it on any attempt to send any messages. A trial court judge, the job of a trial court judge, is to apply the law to specific facts and to deal with individual cases. And so, As to count one, based on the verdict of the jury finding you guilty of an intentional second-degree murder while committing a felony under Minnesota Statute 609.19, subdivision two, paren one, it is the judgment of the court that you now stand convicted of that offense. Pursuant to Minnesota Statute, uh, section 60904, counts two and three will remain unadjudicated as they are lesser offenses of count one. As sentence for count one, the court commits you to the custody of the Commissioner of Corrections for a period of 270 months. That's 270. That is a 10 year addition to the presumptive sentence of 150 months. This is based on your uh, abuse of a position of trust and authority and also the particular cruelty shown to George Floyd. You were granted credit for 199 days already served. Pay the mandatory surcharge of $78 to be paid from prison wages. You're prohibited from possessing firearms, ammunition or explosives for the remainder of your life. Provide a DNA sample as required by law. Register as a predatory offender as required by law and you will receive a copy of the order and also the attached memorandum explaining the court's analysis. Anything further from the state? the sheriff to be transported uh, back to the DOC or whichever custody is currently holding. Anything for the defense. All right. Thank
1: you. We are adjourned. Derek Chauvin sentenced to 12... Okay, so Derek Chauvin was sentenced to 22 years. The judge uh, sentenced him as to as it relates to the second degree murder. The judge declined to break them all up and give him separate sentences for each one. So he was sentenced to 270 months, which is 22 years. That was indeed an upward departure. From what the uh, from what uh, the original sentencing guidelines stated for judge uh, for Derek Chauvin, the sentencing guidelines going into this for him, based and we know that the sentencing guidelines are based on your history. Um, You know, they're based on a lot of factors. I won't. Uh, labor that because it's going to be discussed over and over. And I believe we discussed this the last time, but I'll just give you just a quick and dirty. But the sentencing guidelines are in large part based on your past criminal history, your education, your history um, your family life, all of those factors are taken into account. Not to mention the crime itself, and if there are any aggravating factors. Now, Derek Chauvin's pre-sentence report came back with a recommendation of a fifteen-year high, because you get a high, you get a high and a low on your sentencing guidelines. So Derek Chauvin came back with a 15 year high. The prosecution requested that the court go twice over the the amount. The judge went half over, so um, I think the prosecution got close to what they wanted. The prosecution wanted 30 years they got 22 and a half so the judge split the difference with what the prosecution wanted what the defense wanted in this case In my opinion was just wholly out of order i get that you have to at the end of the day no matter how much client control you attempt to have and no matter how many different ways you try to advise your client that at the end of the day, it is still your client's call. So his attorney going in there as a fellow barrister, we can debate all day long about how, well, flat out ridiculous it was to ask for probation. But we also know that They were asking for a new trial, which, by the way, Judge Cahill, that motion was denied earlier this morning. We know they asked for a new trial. There's no question that they're going to appeal. They also have to deal with the federal civil rights charges, which, um, according to what Mr. Chauvin said, impacted why he did not speak more freely when given the opportunity to speak. So, I'm going to go back over for some of you that may not have watched the entire sentencing or you were thinking about it and just didn't want to give it all that much time. So, let's uh, start with the characters. We know that our judge was Judge Peter Cahill, same judge as the trial judge, which they always do because this is the judge that heard the evidence. Now, you know there's there's certain I'm sorry there's certain situations where it could happen that it would be a different judge but those are extreme situations like something would literally need to happen to the judge retirement or death i mean they will literally put, a, a, I mean, if you have sense, especially if you are the defendant, will literally put the sentencing off if you have to, to accommodate making sure that your trial judge is theirs. It's just ridiculous uh, not to have your trial judge do your sentencing. So we knew we were going to see Judge Cahill again, who I actually didn't, uh, you know, I thought he was fairly reasonable during the underlying trial, so I didn't have any issues with him our defense attorney eric nelson and co-counsel and of course the state was led by d.a blackwell and um unfortunately the gentleman the african-american gentleman who worked with him on this case was there as well well actually that's mr blackwell and then there is the no wait wait a minute which one's mr blackwell No, Mr. Blackwell is the person for the state, (laughs) excuse me. And then, of course, there was the other gentleman who did a lot of the arguing during the trial who, um, uh, who came in as a consultant and as a special prosecutor for the case. So what Mr. Blackwell focused on, and before I even get into this, please know that Judge Cahill did not come into this trial without some type of idea about what he was going to do and the only thing that was really going to change that was whether or not somebody just walked in with something so explosive good or bad that you know just kind of blows the whole sentencing out of the water these cases were well briefed you had sentencing memos letters all of this stuff was sent to sent to him in advance there was nothing that was said today other than to reinforce it that judge Cahill didn't already know in fact this most of the state's argument was really giving texture to findings that Judge Cahill himself had already made. The aggravating factors that I'm going to speak about, that the prosecution spoke specifically to are factors that Judge Cahill himself specifically discussed. So this isn't this isn't new stuff. At least to the judge, it isn't. So what judge? Uh, what attorney Blackwell did, DA Blackwell did, I thought was very effective because it didn't belabor this for the court. Because again, all of this was briefed coming into it. Now, their victim impact statements may or may not have been submitted in advance, you can do it either way. But if you're going to have them read them aloud in the court, you don't necessarily have to. Now, I say that with the caveat that it is subject to the rules of the court. Now, if in Minneapolis, the rules of that court requires that those victim impact statements also come in ahead of time and be a part of the file even though the person is going to be there again to give it texture to to put a face on it add the emotion to it which is very important and read them live then that's your prerogative but that depends on the rules of the court now we know who Should have and and I'm sure did see those victim impact statements and that was the prosecution and more importantly, their victim advocate or different places call them different things here we call them like your victim witness coordinator so um, and we saw she was the woman in the orange that was introduced to the court and it was really for our benefit because obviously Judge Cahill made clear that he was already familiar uh, with the young woman, but that was the woman in the orange. So typically they work uh, at the prosecutor's office and these are people who are really there to help the victims, help to coordinate services for them if they needed, be there when um, testimony is, um, being discussed and or even when they are um, when they are being prepared because you often have victims who have a certain amount of trauma and so they want someone with shall we say a softer touch to uh, maintain that contact with the victim so it just doesn't feel so uh, I'm gonna make up a word here so copy. So attorney, like, just so sterile. That's not a made up word, but I came up with one. <laughs> I, I came up with the right one while I was thinking of it. So after the four um impact statements, um, all of which, were great right i mean what can you say about people talking about their experience of course we had gianna floyd who after this i truly hope we never see that baby again until the world celebrates the fact that she is an adult and hopefully does well and goes off to one of the several colleges that have already pledged her a free education and even then should she choose not to have us know about it then god bless her because she'll be an adult and it's her choice but right now she is a baby this is traumatic enough she has already been through enough and if no truer words have been said throughout these proceedings, especially today, whether it was by attorney Blackwell or some of the other family members who I'll get to in a moment, this family, what they have endured, it's not more special, of course, than any other, um, than any other family that is a victim of crimes. Because as I say to people all the time, I'm not gonna compare my slavery to your Holocaust, that we are, we all have our stuff. And in the sense of you being a victim of a crime, that is your stuff and nobody should ever say that what you're going through is even worse than what I'm going through. We all lost somebody or we've all been hurt by someone. And I'm talking about people who are crime victims. However, I think what they were trying to reinforce is not so much that the Floyd family is somehow exalted over any other family that was victim of Crime, or even a victim of police crime, but that the family has been forced in a way that is a bit different from most to have that relived so publicly, internationally, not to mention the sparking of the movement that went on and just... Really, this entire thing becoming bigger than just them, that at some points I am quite sure without even being there, there were probably some times where there were members of that family who were like, wait a minute. Could somebody stop the runaway train from going down the tracks? Because at the end of the day, we still lost somebody. We are mourning the death of somebody that we loved. You can say whatever you want to say about them, good, bad, in between, whatever. But ultimately, this is someone that we loved and cared about. And this is and this happened to us. This didn't happen to the world. This didn't happen so that you, it could spark a movement for you all. This is a person that we love that this happened to. So when they talk about the fact that this family has been through more, I think that that I think we have to keep that part in mind and put it into perspective because I know that there are those who will say, "Well, other people lost people, and it's like they should be." It, no, uh, that's really more what those statements about are about. And for right-thinking people, I think you know that. So anyway, the four uh, impact statements were given by uh, Gianna Floyd, his daughter, uh, by video. Very brief, she was asked a few child-appropriate questions so that she could obviously give her answers in a way that made sense to her. And it was really just, it was just to show the loss because that is an impact. Um, The fact that she said, he used to help me brush my teeth. Well, that's impactful. That because as a child, those small things, that's what you're looking for and your life changes. So his nephew, Brandon Williams, great. Um, He just talked, he was, everybody was very emotional. Terrence Floyd, um, who is his brother, as well as Philanise Floyd, who we've seen quite a bit. Like he said, he's traveled around a lot. We've seen him make speeches. Both brothers, just absolutely heartbreaking. Philanise was having a tough time. Before he got up there, you saw him wiping his eyes before he even began to talk. I would imagine because he is the one who's probably been out speaking so often, he has probably gotten more adept at speaking through his tears than the other brothers. But just the statements that they made, I mean, let's face it, they didn't say anything that we would not expect someone who has lost someone who meant that much to him um but I think that there were some points that were made like Terrence Floyd expressing what so many others have that they don't want to see any more slaps on the wrist that they we've been through this already and trust and believe when he said we've been through this already for those small minded people who were like, well, what, your family is a bunch of criminals? No, we know as in I as an African-American know exactly what he meant when he said we have been through this already. He meant we have been through this already as black people watching things, uh, watching things happen to us and the culprits specifically if they are white and even more so if they are police and quite frankly, right there in Minneapolis because they had cases involving this stuff going on during this entire thing. So we know what he meant. He meant the collective we. And he also really drove it home. I was clapping my hands because uh, I think he was echoing the sentiments of almost every black person in America who has talked about this case which is if it was one of us we would have been under the jail there would not have been all this been trial you know arrest trial jail boom if you even made it to jail because. It's problematic already if it was a black person that killed a white person. But if it was a black person that killed a police officer, I, I'm not even going to front. I'm just going to say it flat out. If that brother made it to the jail, that's an accomplishment. And I'm just going to leave it there. Okay. Um, I talked about um and the fact that he talked about Welcome Hope. Yeah, you're right. Um, haven't had a real night's sleep because of the nightmare of what George went through. Now, this is what you call a victim impact statement. The When you have a victim, let me, let me tell you something, even from an, a defense attorney's uh, standpoint, these are the worst victim impact statements or the people you wanna show up at your client's sentencing. Of course, if it involves a death, because that is that is so final and there's literally anybody in the family, friend, cousin, uncle, whatever that can all express that. I mean, of course, if you got the kids or the wife, you're going to it's going to be even more weepy for everyone. But that's one. The other one is rape because they uh, they're going to talk about the violation. They're going to talk about the sleepless nights. The other one, believe it or not, is uh home invasion. Again, the violation and then um, finally drunk driving, because that is something that is so I think it's so simple that anybody can imagine it happening because it's just driving is just something so normal that the thought that you could just be driving down the street or walking down the street and someone that had one too many drinks so there are things that people can understand so when you have someone who not only falls into one of those categories where as a defense attorney you're like oh god there's victim impact statements coming um when you have someone who not only falls into one of those four categories, but can really drive it home with the type of testimony that is impactful, because the other ones talked about it broader. They talked about, yes, we're hurt. Um, this is, you know, this is horrible. Like I said, um, his brother Terrence talked about that this would happen to anyone. And that's sort of a rallying cry when it comes to black people. So for us at home, we get that. But what really sets the tone when you want to make an impact to the court is when it is personal. It is someone who is saying, I can't sleep at night. Every time I close my eyes, I think about this. And it's even worse because in this, in the era that we live in, people, crimes typically, but less. Um, well, Let me dial it back for a second. Crimes typically are situations where you may get the details, but you're getting the details from a witness. You're getting the details from the from the the victims who actually went through it if they are alive to tell their story and if they remember it. Um, And then, of course, you got to worry about how they process the memory in terms of the other side punching holes in it. But now we are in a new age where because people videotape everything, including, as crazy as it sounds, their own freaking crimes, there are times, and this obviously is one of them, and there's actually been quite a few, especially in these police cases, where not only do we hear about what allegedly occurred from or what did occur, because we see it, what occurred from the victim's perspective if they survive it um, or even the perpetrator's perspective in terms of them telling their version of it um, or witnesses perspective because they were there. Now we are all collective witnesses, which means, as it brings me back to his brother Philanise, which means that Philonese not only had to hear about what happened to his brother and mourn the death uh, on the back end of what happened to his brother because right let's say his brother was in a dark alley somewhere and the police did this it wasn't on video so all he knows is what he heard and people's stories but he sees live in person video that also has sound of the death of his brother so we don't really have much of a choice unless you just want to be a cynic, but to take this man at his word, that when he closes his eyes, he literally relives the death of his brother as if he was there. That when he hears his brother calling out, he is worried, welcome uh, Cordell, he's worried about he, he almost feels like his brother is calling out to him. When he hears his brother calling for his mother, that it's their mother. So you can understand the depth of that. So to talk about impactful, all four statements, great, but Philanese. Nice, let's just say it's it's fairly obvious why he has been the one going around to speak because that man was impactful to say his brother's life mattered absolutely that he and his family have been given a life sentence not just a life sentence to life without george but life without george and literally reliving the image of george's death in their minds as if they were standing there front row center because we all were via the magic of video and so now we get to the da's office i mean the da getting up to make his arguments i thought that his argument was very effective he did not just go on and on i thought what he did was great what he did was literally take the court's own findings and just Texturized them a bit, he massaged them for the court and said, You know, this, uh, you know, you found these things, but let me really put into perspective for everyone, these, this may be why you found these particular factors to be aggravating, but just in case, I'm going to say why we think that they were aggravating. And by the way, Your Honor, you decided that these were four aggravating factors and also by the way your honor the supreme court of minnesota has also determined that with just one aggravating factor you can double up on these sentences you can adjust upwards from the out from the guidelines now to be clear the judge has discretion to do whatever he wants so i thought that it was great that he started out, of course, he did a lot of thank yous in the beginning, you know, that was here nor there. He recognized the officers um, that didn't stand behind a blue wall, thought that was, I mean, that was fine. Um, He probably would have done those anyway in a press conference afterwards, but that was fine. He thanked the family, called them Models of Grace and Understanding. I thought that that was very nice. Again, stuff he would have probably done in uh, it, it probably done and it's probably even doing right now while I'm on the air at the press conference. But then he got to the meat and potatoes of his argument, and I thought that was very important when he talked about the court's discretion in relation to the sentencing guidelines. And honestly, that wasn't for the judge. That was for the rest of us. That was because he has an audience of the world watching and that we understand Yes, there are there are guidelines, but those guidelines are not the be all, end all. The maximum and the minimum of what the judge can do are per statute. So we knew the maximum and the minimum of what the judge could do in this case was upwards of thirty years because we know what those crimes. That uh, that Derek Chauvin was convicted of carry, but as I talked about in the beginning, they do a pre-sentence report and they plug them in, and and there are there's just some numerical guidance. As he said, because the judges do have discretion, we want to kind of it's sort of adding the objective and the subjective together, and part of that. Uh, Part of the reason for that, or in fact, the main reason for that is so that sentencing is not so all over the place, especially when the reasons that sentencing can be all over the place can be uh, based on whims, sexism, racism, homophobia, and, and a myriad of other things. Just local politics. I mean, it could literally literally be anything, right? Because judges are human. So it lends some objectivity, but the judges still have discretion. But typically, if they veer well beyond that discretion, they are then going to use some way to justify it. So I thought what the Um, prosecution did was very effective and if nothing else for the purpose of the public to say we want you to go above and beyond. This is why and the courts the, the courts, even the courts above you, the Supreme Court of Minnesota has certainly said when you have aggravating factors, have a party at sentencing if you want to. And in this particular case, you didn't just find one aggravating factor, you, Judge Cahill, found four. So let's talk about those really quick. The first one is abuse of position of trust and authority. I don't think that we have to beat that to death, we know in your custody is in your care, period. We know that. That is something that we heard throughout the trial, if you watched it, and we already know that. This You had the authority by virtue of your badge, and just the mere fact that you were convicted of this, let alone what we saw you do, even before we get to that point, you abused it. We wouldn't have found you guilty or your or the jury wouldn't have found him guilty if they didn't feel that he abused it you had this air of authority that made this person listen to you gave you the right to put the handcuffs on him and everything that went on and then you abused it by taking things too far this next one, I think, was the one that um, was probably the most impactful. And even when Judge Cahill sentenced him, he said that there were two that he focused on the most, and the abuse of, the, of, of authority, and now this, this one right here, um, it was probably the most impactful to me for sure. The other ones were fine, but this one, and it's the one that was impactful to Judge Cahill, you treated, uh, you treated George Floyd with particular cruelty. In essence, you tortured him. This man knew he was suffocating. He knew he was dying. You kept him in a prone position that you didn't even have to have him in for nine and a half minutes. And it was more cruel than the, and, and the prosecution said there's more cruel than a typical second degree. And you heard the defense say, well, there's no better or worse second degree, whether you did, you either did it or you didn't. We know if once the person's dead, they're dead and you're going to and of course a defense attorney is going to say well don't say that dying this way is worse than dying that way i mean if they're dead they're dead yes there are worse ways and certainly we should take that into uh, we should take that into account if you shoot somebody versus uh, peeling their skin off and then killing them then certainly we know the end result is they're dead and you're going to be charged with murder no matter what however i do think that we should take into account the fact that you're you made that person suffer for however many hours by peeling their skin off first not to mention that it goes to your state of mind and that's very important too when you look at how somebody should be punished based on their own behavior how their own behavior was was their own behavior was an aggravating uh factor which is that you made this person suffer. And by making them suffer, that is particularly cruel. Yes, the end result is that he ended up dead, but I think you would have to be at some kind of nut yourself not to understand that it's it's okay to say, you know what, If it's particularly cruel, you're particularly problematic. We still would have had a problem if he took his baton and just beat him over the head and killed him in two minutes as opposed to nine. But still particularly problematic. Third factor, there were children present, children as young as nine. Definitely an aggravating factor. And, you know, you can feel however you want about that. And number four, the defendant committed the offense uh, with the involvement of three or more persons. And um, the judge, he didn't mention, I mean, obviously he found that to be an aggravating factor, even though he didn't mention it as one of the two that really played into him departing upwards, as we call it, on the sentencing but totally understandable and he didn't and and I don't think it's really a big deal that he didn't because there's going to be separate trials for uh the other individuals based on what they did and as it relates to Chauvin we know he's got the federal civil rights trial coming up the defense asking for probation I, I I don't even think that I, I feel the way the prosecutor did about that it, there's no reason to waste a whole a whole lot of time on that um it, I mean it's it's just really. It's just re- patently ridiculous. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. Not the fact that he asked for it, but just why it was ridiculous. Um, I agreed with the prosecution. It's time for criminal justice to say to family, friends, community, everybody, we hear you and recognize the, fair- the severity of this crime and sentence accordingly. And all of this, the criminal justice situation, the criminal justice system, and how people are punished, the fact that they are that they are found guilty. Um, uh, and the the public is involved, jury of their peers, and all of that, and why it is the state versus that person is because it is about all of us. It is not, yes, of course it has a direct impact on the family, but it is act, it is also about all of us and its impact on society. It is punishment, it is retribution for your crime against society. When you commit a crime, you're not just committing it against that person, you are committing it against all of us. So, they of course asked for 360 months, reserved the issue of restitution. <clears throat> Excuse me, the defense, they came up. This one, this part's going to be quick because the defense was quick. Um, And I think part of the reason the defense was quick, as I alluded to earlier, we know that they were asking for a new trial. We know that they appealed. And also we know that he was asking for probation, knowing that there was no way in hell that he was gonna get it. So there really wasn't, and they have another trial coming up because they've got to deal with the federal civil rights case. I don't know at this time, whether or not Eric Nelson is gonna be defending him there because I don't think anything much has gone on in that case other than the charges being filed, but I will definitely, um, for our purposes here at Just John's Legal Breakdown, I will definitely be uh, taking a look at the federal charges that were filed just to see who his attorney of record is, even if his attorney of record changes, um, which I suspect it probably will, Uh, If he was smart, and and that's no shade to Eric Nelson. He may just, if Eric Nelson is not someone who is an expert um, in dealing with the federal civil rights charges, then yeah, he probably should change counsel. At any rate, uh, his mother, Carolyn Paletti, got up there. And just like I said on Facebook about this a while ago, and please excuse the noise in the background. I forgot to put on my headphones, so you're probably hearing noise from a little road work going on outside. But at any rate, Miss Carolyn Paletti spoke. uh, She said not only did Derek's life change, but the life of her entire family. I get it. Um, so did the other family. She did not, she talked about the way that her child was portrayed. She basically said everything that I would, I I would expect a mother to say. I did not, she didn't say anything that I wouldn't have expected her to say. And, 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 um, I'm a mom. I get it. Uh, she talked about if he goes to jail, she goes to jail with him. She talked about she supports him 100%. She believes in his innocence. I, I didn't necessarily have a problem with that either because, again, she's his mom. I just wish, and that's where I wondered if um, if counsel was involved in helping her with her statement or if she they just said, you know what, it really doesn't matter. Just say whatever the hell you want because... I, I get that this is her son, but I still felt like it would have looked a little better, especially since she was the only one who really spoke um, outside of his counsel on his side. I mean, because his his statement was brief. He, he gave condolences to, to the family. I'm talking about Derek himself. Uh, Mr. Chauvin gave, um, gave his condolences to the family and uh, just talked about anything else he had to say being a part of the record again he's still in litigation I get that um but I felt like since his mother was representing him especially since she made clear that the sun and the moon and the stars rose on her son which she's his mom I get it I am so sorry for the noise outside but almost done that I would have liked for her to appear to have a little bit of empathy for the Floyd family. Um, And yeah, this is her son. And I I get that she also may not know. I'm trying to be nice here, folks. I'm having a hard time with it. uh, you know, not everybody knows how to skirt the line between supporting who and what they support and and having a, a level of empathy for the other side. And maybe that's where she was. Like, look, my son is facing, at least for her purposes, life. Because whether he got 20 years... 30 years or 40 years, given she's looking at it from the standpoint that given where I am in my life and my age, there is the possibility that if my son were to get out of jail, I may not be here to see it. Now, I don't know how old she is, but let's say she's in her 60s. That's I mean that's a fair assumption. I mean, we're talking about the fact that she may be in her 80s. We don't know when people in their family have a tendency to drop dead. I mean, it it is what it is. If you look at your family and you know when you all have a tendency to die and nobody in your family tends to live past 80, then if you have a kid, if you're 50 and you go to and you have somebody in your family or 60, that goes to jail for 20-some-odd years. Yeah, other than seeing them behind the bars of some maximum security prison, you may not ever get to see them in a real meaningful way again. So, um, so I get that, and she may have been caught up on that, but I still also caught the fact that um, I would have liked a more empathetic moment. Attorney Nelson was up next because obviously she was a part of his case. And I think that he 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 did what he could with what he had, right? He talked about the fact that the case is at the epicenter of a cultural and political divide and nobody will be satisfied and people will look at it like a miscarriage of justice either way. Um, there's, a, I think that what he was trying to say in, um, In an artful way, of course, because as attorneys, that's what we do, because I I was right there with him, you know, as a defense attorney. I was like, your your situation sucks. You're trying to make a silk purse out of a pig's foot. So I totally get it. Um, What he was trying to say to the judge is like, look, Whether you go high, whether you go low, or whether you bump your head and give my client probation like I'm asking you to, nobody is going to be happy unless you sentence him all the way out to the absolute maximum and max him out on every charge and run it consecutive. Because when the parents, I mean, I'm sorry, when the Floyd family was talking about the maximum, that's exactly what they were talking about, because you heard one of the young men specifically say consecutive as opposed to concurrent, you know, it all running together, which is essentially what the judge did, or... If you went somewhere short of that and went with the prosecutors, I mean, so unless if you do that, you're going to have a substantial number of people and we know it's it's a substantial number. I mean, let's look at the last election. I mean, you are literally talking about the possibility of at least 50% of Americans watching this case who may... Feel that that was totally out of line, and that the judge is just pandering to black people or Black Lives Matter or, or some other unknown entity, the Illuminati, whoever. You, you're going to get that if he had done that. If you do something short of that, and let's say he went with the prosecution's 30, because it is, it was still twice the guidelines you would probably still get the argument. If he went with the 15, there's gonna be people, especially the family um, and other advocates, um, you know, minorities, Black Lives Matter, all of that, who is going to say that it was too low. And of course, probation, I mean, hell, I might fly to Minneapolis if that happens. So, um I get what he was doing because he was essentially saying, Judge, do what you want. And in doing what you want, how about you veer more towards our side because you're not going to make anybody happy no matter what you do. So since we already know that no matter what you do, everybody's going to say it sucks, then at least suck for the benefit of my client. (laughs) So... I totally get that, given, again, you know, pig's foot, (laughs) silk purse, not going to happen. I totally get what he was saying. Um, I personally think that given the guidelines and the fact that the the judge did depart substantially, not as substantially as the prosecution would have liked, But pretty substantially, if you are a criminal defendant standing there listening to your sentence, um, seven years is nothing to sneeze at when your guidelines are 15 and you still have a whole other race to run. Uh, with federal civil rights charges that, given the tone of all of this and the fact that we know they don't bring those charges very lightly because there are many cases that people can and should continue to argue all day long that should have gotten the same treatment and didn't, and we certainly know the feds don't bring cases that they don't feel like they can win, he's facing a pretty uphill battle on the federal level. Um, but that part notwithstanding, um, I'm not uh, I'm not angry at this uh, at this um, turn of events at this sentencing, given the fact that it's what I do and my understanding of the guidelines and how impactful it truly is, even if not to the public. That um, that he departed upwards and departed upwards so substantially because again this, it's seven years. Um, I I don't I'm not angry at it. Would I have preferred that he went with the thirty with the judge? Sure, or that he maxed him out and as the family wanted. Absolutely. And and a lot of that is because I absolutely agree with the aggravating factors that Judge Cahill himself found and acknowledged. And I do think that those aggravating factors were heinous. I do also feel that um, as ugly as the second one was in terms of the particular cruelty, I think that the first one in terms of the authority, excuse me, in terms of the abuse of authority, that alone merited a departure and a substantial departure because I think that People need to understand that when you are put in a position of trust and you violate that trust, that is a violation beyond just, oh, you know, he killed somebody. There are implications much, much greater. And the person who's doing it knows that. But anybody else looking in, because part of what happens in criminal justice is also supposed to be deterrence because those two things should be present when you look at sentencing, retribution and deterrence or punishment and deterrence. I do think that it is important that any sentence that involves someone in a position of authority, politician, police officer, I don't care if it's the cable guy who uses any type of authority that they have. The fact that you may use the authority to get uh, into someone's home because they trust that you come um, to do your job and then you violate them physically or um, tear up their house or whatever. Those are things that certainly should be treated differently because when you do that, you hurt everybody. It is not, it wasn't just a violation of George Floyd. It is a violation of the public trust and it is a public trust that is already fractured. So I do think that a departure was warranted and I am with the prosecution on this with the 30 years. However, I'm not mad at the 22 because, again, I think that the fact that he departed at all said a lot. And he did depart upwards in a substantial way going with the 22 and a half as opposed to the 15. So that is my thoughts on it. Again, feel free to connect with me. You know how to find me. If not, it is all in the info box for my channel and for this episode. You know that you can find me on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Let's Be Honest J.J. That's L-E-T-S-B-E-H-O-N-E-S-T-J-J for Just Jonda. You can also email me, especially if you have any good tea or you have any questions you want me to talk about or issues or topics you want me to talk about. There's still a lot of pop culture stuff we need to get into. We are definitely doing a free Britney episode, have a lot of opinions on that. So uh, be looking for that episode by the end of this weekend. Please, if you have iTunes, make sure you go over there and listen to this episode over there as well. And and make sure you leave me five stars and comments. Let me know how you think we're doing. If you want to join me for the everyday information, especially on pop culture, and we talk about a lot of stuff and a lot of news and gossip, you can also join us on the Fashion and Drama Diaries on Facebook. That link is also in the comment section And other than that, folks, I am, oh my goodness, I am, I just have a whole lot going on right now, right? Because I'm trying to get us uh, to our departure music and it got hijacked. What's up with that? But (laughs) anywho, thank you all for hanging in there for another episode of Just Jonda's LBD. That's Just Jonda's legal breakdown, the Derek Chauvin sentencing. Have a great one.